Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I am Agent Scott and we are coming to you with a very special declassified episode looking at the brand new Matthew Vaughan spy film Argyle. And joining me on this mission this week, we are joined by the very special agent himself, Mr. Chris Carr. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, I'm good, Scott. How are you? Uh, doing wonderful. All the better to see you earlier today at the uh, Argyle screening we were invited to. So uh, as per the usual rules of Declassified, we're bringing you our instant takes on the film, uh, which basically I'm going to lay out the format of the episode for you all so you all know what you're getting yourselves into. As uh, After we've done this, me and Chris are going to talk about the film in a non-spoiler form. So we're not going to ruin anything for you because there are some twists and turns in this film that we don't want to spoil mm-hmm. for you. We're going to talk about what our quick thoughts were and if we think you should check out the film. After that, I am very pleased to announce that uh, I am joined by the director of the film, Mr. Matthew Vaughan himself, who's going to be on the show talking about Argyle and maybe a few other things. So that will be coming after our chat with Chris and then Following that, we're going to get right into the spoilers, talk about the twists and turns and what you can expect from Argyle when you hopefully go and check it out in theatres. How does that sound for you, Chris? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. So as I mentioned, we're talking about Argyle this week. And if you don't know about Argyle, it is a new film due out in theatres on February the 2nd. uh, And here is the synopsis. An introverted spy novelist is drawn into the activities of a sinister underground syndicate. That sounds mysterious. <laughs> now, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one to talk about. But as I said at the front, this is non-spoilers, guys. So you can hang in there. You can listen to this. We're not going to ruin anything for you. We're just going to talk about what Chris and I thought of it. So I'll throw it to you, Chris. You're our guest. Yeah. What did you sort of, non-spoiler, of course, what did you think of Argyle? Yeah. So my, my off-the-cuff, trying to sound intelligent reaction is, I think Argyle's a love letter to the Roger Moore era James Bond films, as Austin Powers was to 60s spy films. I think Argyle is perfect kind of weekend entertainment. I would definitely recommend going to see it in the cinema. Um, for me, it's definitely not a Wednesday night viewing. Uh, I prefer highbrow things for that. But uh, but uh, this, this... What's, what's with Wednesday and highbrow? Is that like a highbrow day for you? Yeah, God, it'd be like a Wong Kar Wai film or something like mm. that, the Prince Charles cinema. Wow. But... <laughs> Or, or maybe Spy Game if I'm in, in a sort of in the mood. So yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not a. So definitely Argyle is not a kind of realistic thriller or anything like that. It's just a fun kind of um, yeah, kind of fun pastiche of spy films. But I feel it's a pastiche mainly of um, the kind of Roger Moore films of the seventies. Yeah, I wouldn't say and, and pastiche could sound intimidating for some, or also mm. bad for some. It's not. Um... It's not done in a way that doesn't show love and reverence for spy movies. Matthew Vaughan's done a few spy movies. He knows the genre very well. Yes. I think this is done with a lot of love and care, and he clearly knows his craft. It's, it's more like a pastiche in a sense that there's a lot of, uh, I'd say, tropes or cliches, perhaps, that are sort of brought into mm. this film. A lot of things that we can expect from modern spy movies are also present in this film, but in the best way, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it, as I say, it's a love letter. It's very much he's clearly loves certain Roger Moore films and other spy films of that era. And this is sort of him fulfilling, I guess, his wish to make a film like that. And it's great fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, just 
from my side of things, I had a good time watching it with you today uh, at the, the screening room at NBC Universal. I, um, I I was surprised by how much it kept my attention. Yeah. I, I wasn't a big fan of some of the marketing leading into it. Uh, and there are some twists and turns that we'll get into after the Matthew Vaughan chat in a little bit. But I think overall experiences, I think I had a, a very good time with it. I, I, I laughed. I I enjoyed some of the visuals in the film. It's a very much a Matthew Vaughan film mm. in, in how it's presented and stylized. And if that vibes with you, if that's something you love, if you love sort of Kingsman, Kick-Ass, that sort of stuff, this is right in that vein. And you can yeah. inject that into my veins because I quite love those films too. It, it, yeah. you know, if I'm in the mood for it, it, it does sort of uh, scratch that itch. Yeah, and it does it really well, uh, you know, because there are some films that uh, try to get into that world like um, in a different way. Films like, should we say, The Grey Man, mm. that I feel were just a bit of an artistic failure. I feel like they kind of didn't have anything new to bring to the table and it felt like it was doing it by numbers, whilst this film definitely, you know, as I was saying, feels like this love letter. It's the film they really wanted to make and uh, is very enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and one thing I found, like I just sort of said, like I, my attention was uh, was sort of kept to the screen the whole time. I wasn't worrying about what time it was or how long we'd been in the theatre. And you, you talk about something like The Grey Man, other sort of streaming films mm. have become this sort of homogenized, well, grey, if I borrowed the title, grey <laughs> blob at times of just like these are yeah. the tick boxes of a spy film. I feel like Matthew has uh, taken that. Uh, I added some bits to it. There's things in here I hadn't seen in a spy movie before, which I appreciate. So I suppose then uh, you did sort of cue it up before, but I'll throw the question to you again. Mm. For listeners, if you're wondering, uh, Chris, your recommendation, should people go and check this film out? Definitely. It's a great movie for a date. It's a great movie to hang out with your friends. I think it's a wonderful film to go and see. Definitely at the weekend. I would highly recommend it. And and from my side of things, I would strongly recommend it too. I think see it on the big screen. It is going to get one of those sort of streaming releases quite soon afterwards because I believe Apple TV is involved with mm. the making of this film. So I wouldn't be surprised that after six or 12 weeks, you're seeing it on Apple TV, which is fine. And that certainly would get it to a wider audience. But I would say there's a lot of visuals in this film. It's a very visual film. Go and see it on the big screen. It's got a lot of stars. There's clearly a lot of love put into this. Uh, and I'm just a big fan of going to the cinema in the first place. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, definitely see it on the big screen, some really great visuals. And um, yeah, I think some of the humour too probably works better on the big screen. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to see John Cena's face in HD? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. But Or that lovely cat. <laughs> or that, that lovely cat, that lovely, lovely cat. Uh, no spoilers there, of course, that's all in the trailer, folks. But uh, yeah. I think then, without further ado, I'm sure you're all waiting to hear it, Let's throw to my chat with Mr. Matthew Vaughan. Matthew Vaughan, thank you for joining us here on Spy Hard's podcast. Looking forward to talking about Argyle with you today. Right. Lots to talk about. And I think, um, you know, we talk about spy movies here on the show every week. And, you know, every we, week. Every week. We never Last take spy a, movies for you to do that about? We've got about a thousand or so on our list. There's a oh my gosh. long history of spy movies. All right. Uh, I will try and cope. <laughs> well, that, that's actually sort of leads into my first question because. You know, we like royalty here in England, of course, and for mm -hmm. modern day, you're one of the kings of spy movies, I would say, linking into the Kingsman there a little bit. Yes. But uh, what is it about spy movies that sort of keeps bringing you back? I imagine you two must love spy movies as well, I hope. Uh -huh. Otherwise, um, I, I, I just, 
always loved the world of espionage, full mm. stop. I mean, not just in movies, in books, in documentaries, in aspirations and uh, of you know, spies. And, and it's probably because I, you know, I, I saw a lot of James Bond movies as a kid. Sure. Which is, and, but, and it was just a world where, probably because of the Cold War, spies were, were more prominent. And I think when I was a kid, spies were the superheroes. Sure. You know? um, and they weren't making great superhero movies back then. Um, so um, and I think deep down, we could all be a spy. We can't all be Superman or, uh, you know, the Incredible Hulk or whatever it is people want to be. But we, any, you know, anyone in the world could be a spy. It's true. It's true. Uh, we all could be spies right now. You never know. But um, if you're a good one, you wouldn't know. Well, yeah. Or maybe that maybe you do it like James Bond and tell everyone you're a spy. And, oh, uh, that's one of my big. Yeah, Roger Moore said it. You know, mm-hmm. like what sort of spy walks in the room and everyone says, "Oh, hello, Mister Bond. Would you like your martini shaken, not stirred?" And <laughs> going, "You're not a good spy," which is the whole theme of the movie, by the way. That sure. The, you know, the movie is about a super spy, as we all know and love, and what a real spy should be on the other side. Well, that actually leads me beautifully on to Argyle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about spy movies here. What is it about Argyle that sort of interested you and wanted to tell that story? Um, sort of taking some of the cliches that I've been, that I love and being part of creating the tropes and turning it on its head and, you know, having the experience of, of seeing scenarios done in both styles, saying here's the fantasy version and here's the reality version. And, um, Going on that journey, just the juxtaposition of the two worlds of spies that I think we know. There's sort of the the Ian Fleming, Kingsminy, Bondy, Austin Powers side, and then there's the Le Carre, and you know it's like Smiley's, but you know there's the there's the realistic spies, mm-hmm. and this was trying to be a, a blend of both, but in a still in a fun way. Because you do sort of walk the line between the two. There is that mm. reality and then that sort of hyper-reality of the books yeah. in the film. And one thing that stood out to me was sort of watching the action sequences because you mentioned Bond and then yes. you mentioned something like Smiley's People, for instance. Yeah. Very different projects. Couldn't, yeah. Couldn't yeah. be more different, really. Yeah. Um, but one Both thing written that, by spies. Both written by... This man knows he's spies. I like yes. to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how did you balance... How did you find balancing the sort of action between the two? Because there's a sort of hyper-reality, as mm. I say, and then trying to keep it more grounded mm. when they're in the sort of real world, as it were. Yeah. Well, it was difficult because we had to shoot the action sequence twice so that you can intercut between the two. Mm-hmm. And it was about sort of dialing up the two different moments. And, and that was the fun of it. You see, you know, Henry Cavill looking suave, worrying about his hair, having getting kissed during... And then you got Sam Rockwell, who is struggling... But still gets through it, mm-hmm. but is a lot harder in the real world, and it's a lot easier in the fantasy world. Yeah. So it was just, and it was, you know, it, it was, it was, it was fun, and it was meant to be great for the author imagining what it should be, and then seeing the reality of what it is, and going, oh wow, fantasy world's a bit, bit nicer to be in than the real world. It makes you wonder what Ian Fleming would have made of uh, something like the Spy Who Loved Me when it came out, compared to what he wrote. It's funny. The Spy Love Me was the first Bond movie I saw. Wow. Right? Okay. So, which is probably explains why my movies, the tone of a lot of my films, mm-hmm. and I loved The Spy Love Me. Great. I mean, Great. I was just like, oh my god, I need to see that again. I saw it in the cinema, and I was like, wow. I was just wow. So for me, Roger Moore was my first Bond, right. and then I saw Connery. I was like, who's this guy? And I thought he was good, but I preferred Roger Moore, but because you know, he was my first Bond. Um, now I think that you know I love Connery as well. Once you you know you, you know, once you mature, should we say? Um, but um, um, so what would Ian Fleming think? I don't know. I mean, 
listen, Ian Fleming didn't like Sean Connery. No. <laughs> so, um, and by the way, that was the basis of Kingsman was me reading about how, um, was it Terrence Young was literally said to Ian Fleming, I can turn Sean Connery into a gentleman and mm-hmm. took him down to the Savile Row, got him a suit, taught him how to eat, taught him all that stuff. So, and, and, and that always stayed in my head. I thought that was fascinating. And that's what Kingsman sort of yeah. was a sort of uh inspired by the truth the truth of ian fleming um but when you come to you know and it's so um i don't know i never i never met ian so i yeah, don't well. I, I don't know exactly what I, he could he's the only person to answer that question but i think he would be unbelievably proud of the fact that this these books he's written have become such a cultural icon and beloved by the world still mm-hmm. I mean, yeah it's pretty incredible well, speaking of uh, inspirations in, in Argyle, yeah. were, were there any films you were looking to, to sort of pull from uh, for inspiration? Three. Okay. Three. So during lockdown, I watched with the kids, um, my daughters specifically, um, we watched Charade or Charade. I'm getting confused because I'm doing American and English. Um, North by Northwest mm-hmm. and Romancing the Stone. Right. Okay. And those three movies, there's a lot of um, guidance on how to make this film. It's interesting with... Um... You've got two Cary Grants there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a lot of people would say Henry Cavill is sort of channeling that Cary Grant energy nowadays. Yes. He's definitely got that sort of uh, leading man look Yeah, the him. sort of a classic leading man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I suppose then, moving on with, with Argyle a little bit, one of the big things in the film is, is cats and dogs. There's a lot of cat love in this, but yes. I need to know from you, are you a cat man or a dog man? I am a dog man with a capital D. Mm. And then I ended up having to use my daughter's cat in the film. And by the end of the movie, I'm a dog man with a triple capital D, and I'm a cat man now with a tiny little C. So you've been won over a little bit. Chip won me over, okay. but I don't have any desire to get another cat in my life. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a dog fan myself, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and then just talking about cast a little bit with Argyle, we mentioned Henry Cavill, but there's a lot of big names in this. People you worked from before, Samuel Jackson, but mm-hmm. you've also got, you know, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, I think is fantastic in the film. Yeah. Sam Rockwell as well. And a lot of them have sort of spy histories in their own rights with yeah. their filmographies. Yeah. What was it like bringing that cast together? And was there any sort of standout performances you, you'd like to call out? I think they're all brilliant. I mean, my job as a director has made it a lot easier if you have fantastic actors. So, you know, I tweak. I don't have to evoke a performance out of someone. I just have to capture what they're doing. And and I, I think they all balanced off each other and, and and i'm sort of proud that when we made this movie everyone in hollywood wanted hollywood wanted us to cast brad pitt and charlene sterone in the roles and i was like yeah but guys that's they 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 could be in the fantasy side yeah probably better in the fantasy than the reality so we've got we've got to you know you know you know we have to do something very opposite to henry cavill and Dua Lipa. um but welcome to hollywood they were like yeah it wouldn't be better if it was henry cavill Dua Lipa, brad pitt and charlene sterone and i was like uh, be better on the poster, but not better in the movie. It was a seeing Sam Rockwell uh, with a full head of hair and a big beard. Mm. It made me feel quite uh, seen as a man who doesn't dress all that well, like mm. spies do. So I was yes. very happy to see that in the film. Well, he Sam, is, yeah, he, 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 I just loved the idea of of because the thing about spies and I mean, you know, I, I love Frederick Forsyth as well. You know his novels and. Um, and I was really intrigued that, you know, he, I, I would love to read this book, but it will never be published, is he, he, he wrote an, a, a book that was read by, now we know he was a spy, but we didn't back then, but it's pretty obvious. Um, it was read by MI5, and they begged him not to publish it. 
Okay. Because they said, if you publish this and someone decides to do it, we they will bring England to its knees and there is nothing we can do about it. I was like, what the hell was in this book? Yeah. Um, and he didn't publish it. So, but that was fascinating for me. What like, happened with um, Jean de Carre a little bit as well? He had these yeah. sort of biography written, but they wouldn't allow him to put it out until he was death, he, yeah. until he passed away because of all the secrets inside of that too. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting yeah. to see what these spies hold on this and uh, sort of the, 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 the power well, they have. Well, do you guys not know this? Why did Le Carre write under a different name? Do you know? Hmm. Um, I think it's more just to disassociate himself from his real life spy work, but that came back to get him very quickly in his career. People knew he was uh, worked for MI5 very quickly when he was writing. They figured out oh, really? pretty early on. Wow. Um, so no, I don't. I don't know why he chose to go that way. Maybe just to sort of have a, a pseudonym he could act under. Wow. Maybe he just liked being undercover. Continuing. Well, quite. I don't so. yeah. Don't judge a spy by its cover. Oh, and, there you go. and we have the book. There we yeah. go. Well, um. A couple of questions as we we're getting sort of the uh, the call for the time here. Firstly, there is a big twist in this film, which we won't talk about here, but we'll yeah. just talk about keeping things under undercover, yeah. under under lid on things, keeping a secret. Yeah. yeah. How did you manage to do that? Because it hasn't at this point hasn't leaked out some of the big twists in this film, and there are it's a big twist. Do you know what I've found in life? Everybody loves a secret, and I think see people get get you know, and if you say to someone keep a secret, you should keep a secret. Um, and that's why we had the keeper of the secrets in the in the film. When I read that about the Quran, that is actually a sin to break a secret. I thought, right. Wow, that, that's a, that's a good one. Um, and so I really wanted to. Um, so we've told people, you know, don't let the cat out of the bag, mm -hmm. literally, so that that it becomes fun and you can watch the movie. And then after you watched it, you could discuss it all. Yeah. Um, and. Um, so far, so good. But hey, it may look it hasn't got into the cinemas yet. So True. let's see what happens the day after release. But so far, everybody has behaved impeccably. It's just you think in this day of sort of social media that these mm. things would get out. But I'm just I'm very happy at this point in time that there hasn't been that sort of discussion, and people will go in and be surprised, which yeah. is what you want. Definitely, and it's hard to do. And we had to, you know, Universal to their credit, which I'm very proud of them doing. You know, they didn't do a trailer that gave everything away because no. normally they do. And I was like, please don't. And they, they respected it. So thank you for that. Well, the final question I have for you, Matthew, and this is more about spy movies in general. Every mm -hmm. single person we've ever had on the show over the years, we've asked this question. Oh, boy. John Glenn, Lee Tamahori, directors, a, yeah. a ton of them. So a lot of pressure here. What is your favorite spy movie of all time? I don't know, I actually say The Spy Who Loved Me. Wow. Yeah, because that's what I fell in love with spies, and every time it's on, I can watch it again and again, so I'm going to have to say The Spy Who Loved Me. I mean, it actually just tracks a lot with Argyle and, and with Kingsman, like you said, as well. Yeah. There's, you can see the sort of you watching that and watching mm. it many times, I imagine, The yes. Spy Who Loved Me, and, yeah. and sort of turning that into a film. It's, it's a wonderful film and a wonderful choice. Mm. Well, um, there you go. Does that make Roger Moore your Bond as well? Well, he was my Bond because of my childhood, but I, I love all the Bonds. Like, I think Lazenby was amazing. I think so, too. Yeah, uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service was a great film. Why didn't great. we get a follow-up? We wanted that revenge film in I Diamonds. know why he didn't, because he wow. was, uh, well, he probably, he'll tell you, but he was, it was all about money, and he overstepped the mark too mm. early, and thought it was about, it was, it was going to ruin his career being Bond. Wasn't hip, I believe it yeah, was. Yeah, it wasn't cool enough. And look at us now. Quite so but, well. But at least we still respect his performance as Bond. We do. And I, I think On Her Majesty's is one of the strongest Bond films of all time. Yeah, it was beautifully made, great story. Great music, mm -hmm. great locations, great blow felt. 
Yeah. I never thought Savalas would be. Yeah. Was it he, Blofeld? he was Blofeld. No. But, uh, he was. He was Blofeld. He was Blofeld. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just make sure I hadn't got that wrong. Um, he, has, he has a different name in the film, but he is basically. Blofeld. Yeah, he has a different name. He's, yeah. he's Count von Count. Schlossenberg, the blah, blah, blah. Something. Exactly. Yeah, spot yeah, on. Spot yeah. on. Well, you know, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Matthew, about this. Argyle is a, a triumph. And I think it's. Um, it, it, looking at what you did in Kingsman, it's grown from there. You've got a mm. great cast and you've got mm-hmm. a great film. Well, thank you. I just want to say one thing as you guys are spy experts. Sure. That bloody quote on the front of this book. I said that as a joke sarcastically when we were working <laughs> on it. And I saw the, I hadn't seen the book cover. I, looked, I went, it's not greater than Ian Fleming, all right? Because I was like, wankers for writing that. <laughs> I, was, I, was fur- I was like, uh, so that was a joke to someone that got printed. So welcome to the world that we live in that you can't say anything um, in jest anymore. Well, just for reference, the the quote says the most incredible spy franchise since Ian Fleming. So yeah. I, 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 you're walking back on that one, which is uh... Uh, I'm I, I that, was, that was being sarcastic, and oh. someone in America thought I was being real. So. Well, I, I'm glad as well you, you throw out some names like Jean Le Carré in the film as well. There's mm. a little bit more love than just Ian Fleming because there are lots of spy authors out there that deserve love. Oh, 100. percent Le Carré is, I mean, yeah, Ludlam. I can go on and on. I read them all. I love them all. I mean, it, it, it's their um. Yeah, well, and I tell you, the greatest spy book for me, go on, is Iron Pilgrim. Wow, okay, that's an outside choice. I like that. Iron Pilgrim, I think, is a masterpiece. Well, Matthew Vaughan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, and uh, I hope everyone checks out Argyle. I, I, I not as much as I do, so, <laughs> um, but thank you. Thank you. Great. Well, there you go, folks. That was my chat with Mr. Matthew Vaughan. I. Didn't believe I'd ever be interviewing the guy who made uh, The Kingsman, the guy who made well, even Argyle as well. It was a lovely chat, and I want to thank Matthew for taking the time to speak with myself. And I want to thank the folks at NBC Universal for looking after myself and Chris, yes. letting us come to the screening and come to the interview. They were nothing but stars, so thank you to both of them. Yeah, and thank you for me as well. That was, that was really great. Uh, but this is your warning, folks. Spoiler alert, red alert, ring the sirens. From this point onwards, Chris and I are going to be talking about some of the major twists and turns in Argyle. If you don't want the film spoiled for you, and I'm going to stress this, there are some big twists that they're trying to keep embargoed on the film, and they don't want getting out. They're kind of like the mousetrap, the, the play in central London. They kind of want to keep that twist to people who have seen the film. So if you really don't want it spoiled, this is the time to just tune out, and we'll see you next week, and thank you for listening. But for those who want to hear more about Argyle, that was your last chance. Are you ready, Chris? Should we talk spoilers? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, let's just tackle this big twist uh, in the film because the, here's the premise. And I said the synopsis at the top of the film. It's about this writer. The big twist in the film is that this writer is actually, technically speaking, Agent Argyle. But the twist is it's uh, it's kind of like a Manchurian candidate. She's been brainwashed. She's forgotten her identity. Uh, it's Agent, uh, is it Rachel Kyle? I believe I read it down. That's it. Or R. Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, R. Kyle. Uh, interesting. I, I didn't see it coming. I can say that. No. No. <laughs> no. I didn't see it coming. And I appreciate the, as I said, I sort of led it before that I hadn't seen this before in a spy film, that sort of twist. And um, you spend the first 60 minutes assuming she's this unassuming writer until all of this is dumped on you by Samuel L. Jackson and Sam Rockwell, who are both great in the film, which we'll, mm. we'll get to those people in a second. But this big twist and, and slowly she begins to remember this life she spent as a secret agent with all of these 
black ops she's been doing and it adds another twist to the element that she is actually working for the bad guys most of the time until mm. she loses her memory and is brainwashed by them uh, so that's the big twist you know the the lead of the film played by none other than Bryce Dallas Howard is actually mm. Argyle <laughs> yeah I, I yeah. I can't say I saw that coming, but yeah, what did you think of the twist, Chris? Um, yeah, so immediately I was just thinking of Jason Bourne a little bit. Right. He's sort of like become the Bourne identity in some ways. Um, and obviously memory and espionage are both very interesting themes. And so, yeah, I didn't I didn't see that twist coming. There were one or two other, other bits that I sort of saw coming, but that one I wasn't expecting. So I thought, um, but I did groan at the... Ah, Kyle, I did find that a little bit groan-worthy, but, um, but other than that, I, I could accept the twist. I, I was raising a, a Roger Moore-style eyebrow when I yes. heard it. I think you even heard a slight <laughs> giggle from me when they said the reveal. I was like, ah, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. this is what we're doing. But that's, but it's, like I said, it's something I hadn't really seen before mm. in this sense. Mm. But like, it's interesting you mentioned Boy Identity. I hadn't made that connection, but you're right, this whole forgetting of your memory and reassembling your life and taking the agency back on your past decisions because you know jason bourne was this black ops operator doing terrible things under the treadstone umbrella and you know uh i keep forgetting her name rachel kyle I, I, it's ellie conway in my head it's, it's, it's yeah. bryce dallas howard that's who it is <laughs> uh was doing all these you've got three names to remember yeah <laughs> welcome to the the spoiler section folks uh yeah bryce dallas howard is this person who has this dark history but she chooses through living this life for five years of this assumed identity as ellie conway uh this spy novelist uh to do good in the world and you by the end of the film she has fully gone good as it were and and is in a big l lovely walk off into the sunset with uh sam rockwell mm. uh so i'll be interested to hear what you guys think of the twist when you see the film but i think you know from my side of things i i didn't see it coming and despite the initial knee-jerk reaction of giggling at the <laughs> uh the name which is a bit much i i i, yeah. I and it's on a big screen isn't it i think if i remember correctly it's like she's looking at it on a big screen she's like oh kyle and you're like oh man it's like <laughs> okay that that feels like a, a a what if in a writer's room and someone goes hey mm. what if it's our kyle and everyone's like yes that's it <laughs> no one went yes and and then added to it but uh, you can put that to one side because it's an interesting twist and it gets it actually just sends the film in a completely different direction because she does become this kind of jason Bourne as her powers are reactivating and she begins mm. to remember she has martial arts training and mm. gun training mm. and stuff and it all slowly kicks in very much like the Bourne identity i mean speaking of influences on the film that's something i want to sort of breeze on past before we get to likes and dislikes is i you know Immediately when the, the showing stopped, I wrote down, Romancing the Stone meets Fight Club meets the Manchurian Candidate. I didn't know I needed to add meets the Bourne Identity onto that. Yeah. And the Spy Who Loved Me. I think a lot of the art direction takes a, um, you know, takes a hand from the Spy Who Loved Me. Yes, uh, there is a, a lot of that sort of um, tongue-in-cheek when this film, when it comes to this film, a lot of that. But yeah, it's, it, in terms of influences... I don't think you can go wrong with any of those films. No, no, definitely not. Uh, there's, there's probably other films that, that I could say it's copying from that are worse, but I'm going to go with the best ones like Manchurian and yeah. Romancing the Stone. So, <laughs> But let's um, let's get to things that we like. Let's celebrate Argyle mm. a little bit. Uh, Chris, mm. why don't you start us off? 
Well, I I actually really like the Ellie Conway character, and and I, and I think in some ways the obviously her being revealed as Arkyle, there's a if there are planned sequels, I would have been happier if she doesn't become this sort of superhero agent, but becomes a kind of hybrid of the two characters, because I quite like Ellie Conway as this sort of unexpected kind of suddenly becoming a hero because she's a, you know, a bookish writer Mm -hmm. who has confidence issues or anxiety issues. I think she describes it as, and um, it was quite nice to see a character like that going to going through this world. So in the, if there is a sequel and she's just like this expert and not finding her way, it might, I don't know, it might sort of fall into an area that's um, not as interesting as, this film has been i actually i think that's a, a very good point and I, I think the the character of rachel uh, kyle is interesting and the sort of duality that's going to exist with inside that character does have uh, a lot of room a lot of legs for sequels and i and mm. i think you know it, it sort of speaks to one of the likes i have as well is this the film turns into it being led by bryce dallas howard as this sort of supercharged spy this james bond-esque person and lord knows do we need more female-led spy franchises Mm. because Mm. we've had a few attempts you know the red sparrows the atomic blondes you know we love them as spy movie fans but they haven't done well with audiences so i sincerely hope that argyle does well and we get to see another one because i i agree with you chris because i think going forward there is definitely like ideas on the table there's there's things they could do with this person who wants to live this bookish life but has all these skills and how do they exist in the world you think of something like the long kiss good night which has a lot of uh, mm. connections to this film as well like forgetting that you mm. were a secret agent and remembering that you were a secret agent and she tries to blend the two throughout the film and by the end she has a reckoning and sort of brings those two characters together at the end of argyle you see her finalizing her fifth book which sort of ends the story because one thing this film talks about is you know she obviously lost the memory of being a spy and the way that her subconscious has been dealing with these is by writing spy novels but basically translating her subconscious memories into Mm. spy novels and sort of predicting Mm. true events and that's how she gets involved in all of these spy jinxes as as it were so by doing the fifth book she kind of closes off the arc of that character but that isn't to say that there aren't other you know, there's specters of the world and things like that. They could cause more chaos and they need mm. the world's best secret agents. So you're going to call out for Rachel Kyle and you're going to call out for Sam Rockwell's Aiden. You know, that, that yeah. they're going to be the people you call. And, and Samuel Jackson's obviously a, a goodie in this one too. I'm not sure you'll necessarily see uh, Henry Cavill uh, appear in a, a future film or, or Dua Lipa, for instance, or John Cena because they're fictional characters in this film, but the real ones I would like to see come back and I'd like to see what they did with them. Mm. Mm, Indeed. Do you know another film that pops into my mind, I'll just say it now before I forget it, is the film Spy. Um, And it kind of has some, for me, it has some similarities. That fish out of water getting into espionage. Obviously with Spy, she was an analyst and support character. Mm -hmm. Um, Whilst obviously with um, our character, she's just a spy novelist. But there were some moments, the humour... There's a lot of humour in this film. Well, it's a very funny film. And it just kind of is a little bit on par with Spy with the humour, I felt. Yeah, it's definitely got that, that its tongue firmly in its cheek where I think that's where mm. Spy lives too. And I think it's it's quite successful. There were a lot of people in the audience laughing. Uh, not all mm. the jokes landed for me, but uh, hey-ho, these things are just sort of you, you take a swig and you see what hits, mm. what sticks, mm. I should say. But in terms of something I wanted to highlight as a like, um, I think just the performances of Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell mm. are very mm. strong. It could be a very s- silly film, 
and you could uh you could look down on it a little bit and some you know i've seen sam rockwell do amazing things in the past yeah. uh, and i always go back to his performance in charlie's angels for some reason uh, i don't know why <laughs> but that's what i think of when i think of sam rockwell and he's channeling that that craziness in this film is coming yeah. through especially in the early yeah. parts where she still thinks she's a spy novelist mm. and i loved i loved seeing it and you know the film takes that pivot that we said and bryce dallas howard becomes kind of your central secret agent halfway through and you could go, oh no, not but you know, it's uh, this could be bad. It's Bryce Dallas Howard. Who knows what she's capable of in this sense? But she's led films before. She has that star appeal, and she carries the film. Mm. You you mm. buy that she has this internal conflict throughout. Uh, once that reveal is made, and I don't think she. Basically, to, suffice to say, I think they both were very strong, and I would love to see more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Rockwell was fantastic. Bryce Dallas Howard, fantastic. To be honest, I've not watched many films of her because I've not seen the Jurassic Park films. Um, I think I know more of her as a director for doing The Mandalorian and things like that. But um, And obviously she's, uh, she's the daughter of Ron Howard, isn't she? But she's fantastic in this film. I think she really, really has nailed this sort of role. Yeah, I think she's great. She also pops up in a few other things. She's in Black Mirror. Mm. She's done, mm. as you say, she's directed a bit as well. She popped up in Rocket Man. Yeah, she, mm. she's doing uh, her bit. And now she's doing her bit for spy movies, which is great to mm. see. Uh, do you have any other yeah. likes you wanted to bring up? I've got one more. Um, well, I think, again, just is the humor. I think it was really, they did a lot of, it was a really good lot of setup and payoff of this script. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really any, there weren't really anything other than obviously the twist, but there was nothing in it that jumped out as sort of unexpected. It felt sort of appropriately set up to then pay off later. I think there's only one, one little reveal that uh, at the, the very finale that to me was a little, it, it was set up, but it kind of did feel a bit unexpected. Which, which was that? Was that the uh, Henry Cavill oh. right at the very end? Oh no! Actually, it was the the lady coming back and um, whacking ah. um, Catherine O'Hara over the head. It was like, where did that person come from? And then obviously you find out who she is. It's like, oh, okay, so she's the one who was the fan. They sort of did set it up, but it just that was the only bit that felt totally random at the at the initial watching. I, that that <laughs> bit did bump on me, and I, I want to talk about the sort of finale sequence in a little bit. Mm. When maybe when we mosey on over to a different mm. section, so I'll mm. put a pin in that and come back to it. Mm. I just wanted to say the last thing I have for likes is I think it had a, a quite a strong pace. It's a two hour, two hour and 10 mm. minute film. Uh, that seems to be the sweet spot for me at the moment, about two hours. And there wasn't a moment, like I said, where I was checking my watch or sort of uninvested in proceedings. It keeps on going. It's propulsive and the twists keep you interested in and asking questions. And they're not, they're not twists that necessarily come out of nowhere, except for maybe that big one that mm. we spoke about. But the seeds mm. are planted. It's kind of like a no mm. way out situation, uh, the Kevin Costner film, where there are seeds planted. And I imagine this film would probably do quite well on the revisit because you'd probably start looking for things that lead you to think about her being this super spy and things that she did. Mm. I'm sure they are there. Um, but like I say, I, it was a well-paced film that kept me interested and I, I loved the performances. So I, 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 mm. I can't fault it. No, no, exactly. I think, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier. I think if I was to put it in star categories, for me, it's a solid three-star movie. It's incredibly well executed for what it is. Um, it, in terms of Matthew Vaughan's sort of filmography, for me, it doesn't quite get... Um, it's not quite as good as Kingsman or Kick-Ass, but it's still incredibly solid for what it is. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I would uh, want to go out and, and sort of on a limb and say where I would put it right now. I don't think I've really digested it as much. 
Uh, I mean, you think of like X-Men First Class is probably the one I hold up as my favorite of his films. And that's mm. also a yeah. spy film yeah. in its own right, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The man knows his spy films. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Red alert, spy hards. We are shaking things up over on the Patreon page. That's right. We are launching an exclusive new show where we tackle the exploits of the small screen's greatest secret agents like Jack Bauer, George Smiley, and beyond. And don't forget, every month you also get two Agents in the Field episodes where we decode the adventures of your favorite spy actors in their biggest non-spy movies. But Cam, tell the people what we have coming up next. Now's the time to catch up with our January offerings, reviews of Batman Begins and the Ian Fleming biopic GoldenEye, plus the debrief where we looked at The Beekeeper, Slow Horses, and the Oscar nominations. So don't get left out in the cold. Help support your favorite spy movie podcast and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, let's get back to the spy jinx. But uh, I want to mosey on over to dislikes because I had a couple of things Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention. But do you have anything you'd like to bring up? I think think we might be on the same page. For me... Um, so the action sequences, there was just some very poor uh, visual graphics. And in the fantasy scenes, that works. But when it comes to crossing over into then Ellie Conway's lived experience, it doesn't work as well anymore. And it's not, um, and it doesn't feel as grounded, which then for me, ever so slightly, you know, usually on another film, I would deinvest even more. Um, I think Bryce Dallas as Howard could have kept me, her, her performance kept me captivated. So I always felt there were stakes for her. But there are one or two moments where I just felt like the special effects really kind of let everything down. And yeah, just to sort of uh, paint you all a picture who haven't seen it yet, but you'll sort of just want to hear the spoilers. <laughs> there are moments in this film that happen within the books that she has written, mm. Ellie Conway mm. has written, and you're seeing her in the writing process of making the films, and you're seeing Agent Argyle, played by Henry Cavill, you're seeing John Cena, who plays his kind of analyst character, and you're seeing the villains played by like Dua Lipa, people like that. And uh, you know what happens in this world, and, and you know there's a moment where Dua Lipa is, who's a musician. If you don't know, folks, I only recently learned that myself because I'm apparently very old, uh, <laughs> according to someone I asked about who Dua Lipa was. Uh, you know, she's driving away on a motorcycle, and Henry Cavill is chasing after her on the rooftops in a car riding Mm. between buildings happens right at the start of the film a lot of it's in the trailer and it looks insane it like it it couldn't happen in reality but because you've quickly learned that this is in a fictionalized world within Mm. a fictionalized world of a film you can go okay it's like watching a video game that's absolutely fine and there are moments where like the action is quite grounded in this film there's a couple of like Mm. hand-to-hand combat sequences and uh, some grounded stuff with sam rockwell on the train for instance the extraction on the train i think was very well done yeah Uh, it reminded me a lot of bullet train recent film Mm. uh in terms in terms of sort of close combat on a train or maybe specter as well but by the end uh which probably sort of move us over onto my main dislike is there's this final sequence of showdowns that take place in the villain's lair the villain is played by uh brian cranston of breaking bad and malcolm in the middle of fame he's done other things but that's what i think of and it it just goes very loud and very outrageous i think just for the sake of marketing material 
or because they wanted to paint a beautiful picture with colored flares. But it turns what could be, I mean, you could say, if I'm paying like against what I think, they just it could have just been a very boring shootout that we've seen a thousand times. And at least Matthew Vaughan has pumped something different into the proceedings and it mm -hmm. looks different. It becomes more like a dance number as they're yeah. shooting people. And some people will hate that. And some people will love that they're doing something different. I'm not sure I'm on the love side. I necessarily hate it. I think hate is a very strong word. But like you said before, Chris, there are, these moments can push you out of the film and cause you to detach a little bit. And that's mm. what I found I was doing during that sequence. Yeah, I was with you on that. It, it's sort of like it was very music video-ish. Um, it didn't really feel like it was really making a point um, other than it just is a bit different. Um, and it's it's sort of fun to watch and it's sort of and it's very well choreographed the music and stuff. Um, and yeah, so I, I it just felt like a music video, that sequence. Well, wasn't it also like a Leona Lewis song playing, which I thought was really strange? Ooh. That's above my station, unfortunately. I I'd have to look at the soundtrack um, album list to be able to get to that point. Oh. But it was, it was, it was sort of. It felt the music, the soundtrack overall felt a bit eighties. Um, I could be wrong, but it did to me feel very eighties. Um, it's quite an eclectic mix, but there is a, a, a mm. dislike I want to get to about soundtrack. So I'll come back to that Ooh. in a minute. I have, I have a note that's very <laughs> nerdy, but that's what I do best. Uh, but good, like good, from good. your, I mean, for those who don't know Chris, who haven't heard uh, Spy mm. Game episode, which is the best one he's been on, I would say it's a it's a great episode. Go and check that out, folks. Um, but you know, apart from host co-hosting the Secrets and Spies podcast, you're also a filmmaker in your own right. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah. even done a spy movie short film yourself, which I recommend yeah. people go and check out. Um, but what I want to ask you, just from a filmmaking perspective, and we're talking about this scene at the end of the film. What do you think was going through Matthew Vaughan's head when he put that together? What was he trying for? I don't mean to put you on the spot. If you don't have an answer, that's fine. But just to sort of, mm. just your thoughts. With the, the coloured smoke sequence. Yeah, and also just like the, yeah. well, that's the main thing. And also the ice skating sequence that comes immediately afterwards. It feels very computer generated and it just felt a bit, yeah. it felt like a facsimile yeah. of a fight sequence. Yeah, it did. Those two sequences are very video gamey as well. Um, what's going through his head? I think it is just this, sometimes the director, you kind of are just trying to find a new angle on things. It, like there are ways, I mean, I don't think it was trying to do this, but you could make a statement about violence in this moment, but not in a terrible way. Mm. And you could kind of slow it down and really show the impact of violence. So like on, um, that George Clooney film set during the Iraq war, um, forgotten his name now uh but they have this sequence where there's like a slow uh you know they slow down the bullet hits and you kind of see what it does and they describe that you don't walk away from a bullet wound like you do in the movies mm -hmm. he could have done that um obviously that would take totally be a bit different yeah so i think i think it was just sort of trying to just be different um and but keep it tonally um in that kind of realm of comedy if anything i was thinking of latter part of mr and mrs smith the movie right. um when they're kind of together battling people it gets a bit choreographed and um yeah and, and it just gets a bit there's even a bit where it gets a bit cheesy where they have a a, a heart comes out of the smoke mm. um and i think they just went a bit too far with it i think it was quite a cool concept like the smoke tactically makes it difficult for the enemy to see them there's something kind of cool in that but um <laughs> but then it just sort of turns into this sort of music video and it goes on too long it could have gone on for just like uh 30 seconds to a minute i think it's almost two minutes well it's the whole length of the song it. and if i if yeah, i'm going to quickly yeah. just google the leona lewis song i think it is i'll tell you the exact yeah. length of the sequence <laughs> 
Three Kings is the George Clooney film I was thinking of, by the way. Um, and actually, funnily enough, a relative of my wife's in that movie. But anyway, um, so, you know, there are different things. So sometimes you are presented a very familiar kind of scene, a shootout. And as a director, you're you're partly thinking, how can I make this different? But also you want it to tell the story. So a good director, in a way, is always trying to make it organically fit the story when whatever this sort of... Um, layer of difference they put on and it could be to do with the way the camera works like with if you think about the um shootout on the d-day beach at the beginning of um saving private ryan you know that's a choice that's very interesting it's very sort of um point of viewy in places where you get to really you really feel d-day at the beginning of that mm -hmm. movie so that's a choice because that could have just been a a very much a distant camera just filming people shooting at each sure. other but steven spielberg make a very distinctive choice there um so yeah so i think matthew vaughan was just trying to find this way to make that scene a little bit more entertaining but comic because also um with with violence on screen obviously we talk a lot about death by firearm these days um and a lot of people have mixed feelings about seeing guns on screen mm -hmm. and so in a way it kind of slightly sanitizes it slightly because there you can't see the effect of the gun um and um yeah and it sort of just takes it away from suddenly being a serious movie so i think there there are lots of things at play there um uh, and you know it, yeah so ultimately i think that's sort of how, where I would uh, say he's probably coming from. I could be completely wrong. You, when you when you speak to him, you'll find out. Well, that that could be the case. And you know, I was just uh, I was thinking about uh, what I said earlier, and it, it may be just being mm. a way of just presenting a fight sequence that's different because mm. we've seen mm. so many of these corridor shootouts yeah. in so many mm. films, not even spy films, but just action films in the last forty years. And we've seen mm. it enough times. Maybe he just wanted to do something a bit different. And yeah. if you were wondering. I was right. It is Run by Leona Lewis, and the song lasts four minutes and 50 seconds. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, it is a very long sequence. The other thing as well, <laughs> during that sequence, Brian Cranston was, like, shouting out orders. Do this, do that. And to me, some of those orders felt like, well, why the hell didn't you do that in the first place? Oh, I like put in the, um, the heat seat, the heat, heat vision on. Well, yeah, put the heat seeking thing on. Then use the smoke dispersal yeah. fan or whatever. Mm. Um, it's just like he, all his decision making felt just like a few minutes too late. And I was just like, you're not a very good bad guy. Uh, <laughs> you're not a very practical bad guy. I mean, but these are, these are like small critiques we're making here. Exactly. I mean, the, the, I exactly. think the big thing we're talking about was sort of the exaggerated action got a bit much at times, mm. which mm. I think it is really like a it's a preference thing it's what you're into this might be exactly what you like in a in an action scene because you don't care too much about reality or how many bullets are in the clip i don't really care mm, so it, mm. it all plays into that but in yeah you know, when we're talking about uh nitpicking mm. and music here is my final dislike uh-huh here we go now throughout this film we are treated to now and then by the beatles the new song from the beatles uh, came out just before Christmas. Uh, it went to number one. Uh, for those who don't know anything about Now and Then or are wondering how the Beatles brought out a new song in 2023, <laughs> it's because it's an old John Lennon tape that they were given by Yoko Ono. And in the 90s, they tried to turn into a song. But because of the quality or the poor quality, I should say, of the tape recording that John gave Yoko, passed away and it went to Paul, George and Ringo, uh, they decided not to finish it. They did two other songs, Free as a Bird and Real Love. Now and then got uh, sort of left to one side. But because of the new uh, technology, 
um, from the new Get Back film that came out recently on Apple TV. They were able to strip out some of the artifacts of that tape and present it in a cleaner fashion. So uh, unfortunately, George has passed away since, but Ringo and Paul went back, finished off the recording and put out the last Beatles song. That's your setup. In this film, it's played about four times. It's quite heavy-handed. Now, we know Apple uh, has, uh, has the rights to this song, so they're really trying to push this song on audiences, which I don't have a problem with. It's like having a soundtrack to a film. What I do have a problem with is the fact that uh, Sam Rockwell tells... Uh, Sam Rockwell's character, Aiden, tells uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character of Ellie or Rachel, whoever, uh, that that's their song. And they had they learned it years ago, and they've known it for a long time. Now <laughs> it's only been out for about two months, so there's yeah. no way this is happening. Now, if they played the John Lennon demo tape, I would have been happy with it, but they didn't. They played the now and then that came out a month ago. Such a nitpick, but boy, did it wind me up. If only they added a line, she could have said, "It sounds so much better than when we last played it," oh, yeah. and then it would have fixed your problem. <laughs> or they said it was the year 2030. Yeah. Then yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit isn't really clear. I don't think it's very clear what it says, is it? Or is I, it? I don't know. I don't remember a date. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, maybe if you like zoom in on the digital screens, you'll see that sort mm. of thing. It could be in 2030. I mean, this is all a this is all a send up of a film, isn't it? Like it's tongue in cheek. It, I shouldn't take it too seriously. But as a Beatles no. fan, that bit jumped out to me. And I felt like I had to say I had to speak it up and, and tell you all yeah. about this very silly, annoying thing that I noticed. Oh, Scott, it's brilliant. I, I didn't even clock it at all. <laughs> so it's really great to hear because I think what I, this is the thing about filmmaking is there's so many different expertise in the audience. And, and it's I've always admired filmmakers who kind of can um, anticipate the various different expertise and get those things right, because there's nothing more annoying than, I don't know, your ex, your area comes up on the screen. They make a real hash up of it. Um, so <laughs> so that, that, in a way, you know, it's sort of uh, it, it's nice to hear that there's something I missed completely that definitely uh, is a big thing. Well, it, you know, like I, I think it's probably just a note from Apple. They wanted the song mm. included on the soundtrack yeah. to get a little bit, a few yeah. more plays on Spotify. And I mean, that's absolutely fine. That's just synergy marketing. That's just the way that, that you know that these things happen. Now you have different hands in the in the, mm. in the pot or the honey or whatever the metaphor is. I'm trying to find it is just the way that it is but you know overall i stick to what i said at the start of the show i recommend this film i think you should go and check it out it isn't perfect i think i would say no. it's more like three and a half chris gives it a three but i think you'll have a fun time i don't think your yeah. two hours will be wasted and that is the important thing yeah yeah no exactly i think if you watch that at the weekend you'll come out and you'll uh, you know unless you really hate that style of humor so here's the other thing so if you're a real diehard james bond fan and you're expecting to see a roger moore-esque movie you probably may not enjoy it because it's it's a bit like austin powers i think i was saying earlier this in a way is the austin powers of the roger moore era um uh in some ways uh, and so it sort of is a send-up of those kind of movies so when you watch that action action sequence at the beginning and most of the action sequences are all kind of played for humor but with a touch of serious seriousness so you feel them um but ultimately it is all a, played for laughs and so for some people if you don't like that um, like if you couldn't cope with watching Archer or Austin Powers, then you might not enjoy the film. But um, I, 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 if you can take your, you know, uh, James Bond seriousness hat off, you know, um, you will enjoy it. So 
<laughs> I can't say I've ever combined a James Bond seriousness hat and the Roger Moore era. <laughs> well, no, exactly. This is probably why Roger Moore these days is, uh, you know, less liked than he was at the time. Mm. Um, you know, as a kid, those films, I loved them. But as an adult, um, I find them less entertaining um, and in some places embarrassing now. <laughs> just just stop talking because there's people that are just switching off right now and they don't want to hear anything more from you, Chris. So I'm sorry. That's... I'm sorry. I do love A View to a Kill, though, which is a bit of a controversial wow. Roger Moore wow. choice. But there okay. we go. Well, I, you're the perfect replacement yeah. for Cam because that's one of his favorites, too. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but there you go. That was our chat about Argyle. Um it's out in cinemas worldwide on February the 2nd. We both recommend you go and check it out. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for coming along for the uh, Argyle festivities, for joining me on this mission this week in this declassified episode for the new spy film Argyle. But before I let you go and before I throw to what's coming up, where can people hear more from you? Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me on and for inviting me to the Argyle screening. Um, so yeah, if people want to find out more about me, if you go to secretsandspiespodcast.com, you can find a podcast there. Also, if you just type in Secrets and Spies to any podcast app, you will find the podcast on there. And you can hear me and Matt chatting about sort of real espionage things, geopolitics and all sorts of crazy shenanigans that are going on in the world and us trying to make sense of it absolutely and you've been on a couple of our episodes in the past as well but we'll put links in the show notes below to make it even easier for you folks if you want to hear more from chris just look down below there'll be links to everything there and now i don't have cam to throw to like i usually do to talk about what we've got coming up so it, it falls to me poor old agent scott to uh throw you to next week now we are in the midst of our celebration of mission impossible 2 we had the review earlier this week and coming up next week on the show we are continuing the festivities of uh slow-mo motorcycling and dove action for mission impossible 2 because we have two spy master interviews for you you know from matthew vaughan this week to next week it's all go here we are firstly joined by the co-writer of the film mr brannon bragger now if that name doesn't ring any bells to you just look him up i mean he has had his hands in a lot of things including star trek the next generation star trek first contact he is the man and uh you know it was a big thrill for me and cam to speak to him as i'm sure you can imagine very insightful chat and uh, you can learn about what uh, tom cruise likes to do for lunch and uh, following that, uh, later on in the week, we are joined by the producer of the infamous soundtrack for Mission Impossible to Mr. Mitchell Lieb. And his stories on working with Fred Durst will change your life. I cannot stress this enough. It is absolutely hilarious. It is a Hollywood producer completely... Um, unhinged and ready to tell all of the stories behind the scenes you'll hear about tom cruise you'll hear about fred durst you'll hear about metallica it is all there for you next week so your mission folks should you choose to accept it is to join us as we continue our mission into mission impossible 2 with our interviews of brandon bragger and mitchell lieb and if you like what you heard on this episode please consider supporting us over on patreon patreon.com slash plenty of bonus episodes to get there and you'll be helping continue the spy jinx and if you don't already make sure you follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next time folks you'll find me doing the whirly bird mm -hmm.